Hello and welcome to another fantastic episode of the SaaS Marketing Show, the number one SaaS marketing podcast that you will find anywhere online. And this week we had a really great interview with Shri Mithran, who is the Pipeline Marketing Manager at Chargebee. So I'm sure many of you will know Chargebee as one of the leading subscription management software companies out there. And this interview was one of the most in-depth, tactical, practical interviews that we've run in a very long time where we were talking about how Shri and his team have helped increase their volume of sales accepted leads by over 40% over the last 12 months. We went deep on some of the paid strategies as to how they're doing that, as well as diving into, more importantly, some of the tools and intent data that they are using. I know for a fact you're going to love this episode. I can't wait for you to hear it. Um, just before I roll the beginning of the intro, I want to say a huge thank you to our sponsors, Restream, who are sponsoring this podcast right now. If you are thinking about testing out any live content for your SaaS business, I would really recommend checking out Restream. If you go to restream.am forward slash Dylan, you'll receive a special little upgrade when you sign up for the first time as well and would love to see you using that for your live streams in the future. So big thank you to Restream. Now let's roll today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the SaaS Marketing Show. Today, I'm joined by Shri Mithran, who is the Pipeline Marketing Manager at Chargebee. So for any of you who don't know, Chargebee is one of the leading subscription billing management softwares that is used by thousands of scaling SaaS companies. Shri, I'm really excited to have you here. Welcome to today's show. Hey, hey, Dalem. Thank you for joining us today, Shri. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to this one. So we're going to be talking specifically about how you guys at Chargebee have increased your SALs or your sales accepted leads by 40% uh, by moving from a demand gen approach to a pipeline first approach. So I'm very excited to jump into that specific topic area. But before we do that, let's just talk a little bit about the business at Chargebee for people that don't know about you guys and a bit more about your marketing team. So I was taking a look before we jumped on this call today um, to just get some top level numbers and ideas for the people that are listening. So I found out on Crunchbase that Chargebee have raised a total of, I think it was 38 and a half or 38.2 million across various funding rounds with the last round being a series D in August of 2019. I know that you have multiple like presences in multiple different parts of the world to a decent sized team. So maybe just give us a quick oversight as to what Chargebee is like today and what your marketing team looks like as well and how you fit into that personally. I think that'd be a great place to start. Sure. Yeah, so uh, Chargebee focuses uh, in subscription billing and revenue operations for SaaS and SaaS-like businesses, right? Our team, we are a little over 400 at this point, spread across Chennai, which is our bulk of our operations take place from. And we're headquartered in the US. We have teams in uh, SF, Salt Lake City. And uh, recently, we also started out in the Netherlands, and we have a, a small team uh, that's up and coming in the ANC region as well. So that's the, the team split as, as such. And uh, specifically about marketing, uh, we are primarily inbound-driven organization, right? And in terms of the team structure, uh, like any inbound-driven company, there is the, the demand uh, and the pipeline marketing team, as we call it, right? Which uh, specifically focus on uh, fresh acquisition, conversion, and making sure uh, the sales team is uh, equipped with the right kind of pipeline to meet the revenue targets, right? That, that, is, that involves uh, SEM, uh, paid search, Facebook display, and also the SEO organic site and conversion optimization, the self personalization. And specifically, uh, in the last couple of years, we have been focusing on ABM to go after our mid-market and enterprise segments. So besides uh, demand and pipeline, we have product marketing team, which uh, specifically focuses on product releases and making sure 
or the new product features and capabilities are taken to our customers, which also has a small customer marketing wing inside of it. And we have the content and design team, uh, which act as uh, a service component to other functions within, within the team. So as such marketing team, we are a 30 member org uh, spread across all these sub functions, as we just mentioned. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty exciting. The, the growth in the last couple of years has been really good. And yeah, so happy to chat more on that. Yeah, awesome. Thank you for sharing that. It's really, it's really cool for me to be chatting with you too. Like I, I, I I've never actually spoken with someone from Charge B before, so this is a first for me, and I'm, I'm excited about yeah. it. There's a few things that I like, I love about the way that you guys do things. Like I, I saw, I know this is something very specific, but like even the drift bot that you guys have on the website and everything like that. Like I, I like the way that you do marketing, and I like seeing the growth that you have experienced over over the last few years. Just quickly, for I think most people will have a very clear understanding of like what you guys do, but maybe not everyone would have heard of you before, depending on like where they're listening from, what kind of size their business is, et cetera. So who are the typical kind of people that you come up against? Like when people are looking at Charge B, are you coming up against the paddles and the stripes of the world? Is that the kind of core competition for, for you guys? Yeah, so the, the, the subscription billing and revenue operation space is it, it's very interesting, right? So uh, uh, like players like Stripe, who are a primarily a payment processor, uh, they also have a billing component to it, which is more more apt for a for early stage company who want to quickly rig up an engine uh, to to handle their billing and subscriptions. But as they scale, uh, as they as they mature into their with their operations, they they would need a system like. Uh, uh, charge me, which is more like it, it's, it's a layer on top of uh, a payment gateway like a Stripe or a Braintree, where all of your billing and uh, subscription logic is set up, right? So in terms of uh, your plan management, your pricing management, and your entire subscription lifecycle management is maintained within Charge me. And also from the from the finance aspects of it, in terms of your billing, your scheduling, and also your connections with your accounting system, be it uh, Zero or QuickBooks or NetSuite. So that's that's where in the landscape we fit. In terms of other players, like you mentioned, uh, Paddle specifically focuses in Europe, and there are uh, players like Chargeify, Recurly, and there is Zora. So th- this is the landscape uh, looking like. Awesome. Yeah, thank you for that. I'm pretty sure there's going to be quite a few of your customers listening to, to this show or this episode mm-hmm. as well, right? Because that's exactly yeah. who we're getting in front of. So yeah, awesome. Now let's talk about the kind of core topic area that we're going to be focusing on today, which is how you guys increase your SAL, sales accepted leads by 40%. Um, now, mm-hmm. before we go into that, that, that kind of 40% increase, over what period of time is that? Is that like over a year, a couple of months? Like what, what yeah, I would, say, I would say it's a, a, a three-quarter increase starting from mid-2019 to now, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, there are incremental increases over time, but now looking at reflecting that the shift is massive. And uh, particularly if you consider the pipeline impact that it has, it's like, it, it, it's really huge. So I would say it's a two to three-quarter increase from 2019. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so exciting because like, as you said, a 40% increase in sales accepted leads, like even if the lead volume coming in is exactly the same, but you've increased the acceptance rate by 40%, then close rates I would imagine have increased significantly yeah. as well, which everyone can see yeah. how much like additional revenue that can be adding into uh-huh. the business. So I think anyone yeah. looking for this, if, if anyone could increase their sales accepted lead rate or their like trial to paid conversion rate by anything like that, they would be super, mm-hmm. super excited and a lot, a lot happier within their day to day. So let's find out how... Yeah. Some of the steps that you guys have taken to to achieve that i think it might be interesting before we go into everything that you've done if you give us a mm-hmm. kind of top level overview as to what that kind of that that marketing to sales i don't want to say handoff process but like what the sales process looked like let's say yeah. a year ago and then we'll go into some of the changes that you've made or new things that you've implemented to help see those significant increases right 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 
Uh, so in terms of the structure, like any other inbound driven organization, uh, with respect to sales part, there are two 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 aspects. One is the SDR layer, and of course the other sales account executive part. So as as a, as a demand or pipeline team, we work more closely with the SDR team. It, it's more of a uh, like we, we we share the same uh, metrics when it comes to uh, total dispose or discovery calls that we schedule for account executives, right? So that's that's where the handoff happens. Like earlier, before we moved to a pipeline first approach, uh, the, the kind of uh, metrics that we share with the uh, SDR team stops uh, at a point where the total number of MQLs that we uh, pass on to them, and of course we we look at SQLs as a quality metric, but that's not something that we optimize on top of, right? And uh, and if if you look at the website, we have uh, different points of conversion. Like people could sign up, people could uh, like come on to our drift chat or schedule a demo, right? And all of them are considered equally uh, in terms of like uh, there are X number of leads that we generated this month. But but when you uh, when you look at it, there's only a certain cohort that converts uh, like at a significantly higher rate when compared to other parts of it, right? So investment in into that in understanding what is that cohort that works and making sure from the marketing side of this uh, marketing side of things, we specifically focus on that cohort so that from an SDR aspect, instead of them working on let's say 2,000 or 3,000 leads, they can just specifically focus on this cohort that. That keeps giving, right? So that over time has changed in terms of how uh, we we work with the SDR team in terms of the cadence. Now we have a, a, a weekly cadence with the SDR team to understand the metrics in terms of total number of uh, scheduled calls that we uh, gave for the SDR team, and from there, how many qualified, what did not qualify, and the ones that did not qualify, we go back and see what campaign they came from, where did they not qualify? Like, is is there a mismatch in terms of intent and whatnot, right? So. There was uh, the operation rigor there. I think that's what one of the important uh, reasons for this maturity. I think thanks to uh, our SDR team in terms of the consistent feedback and without which we cannot operate, right? So feedback both from a qualitative aspect and also in terms of making sure the data seamlessly flows back, right? We, we use HubSpot as our uh, marketing automation system and it's more of a quasi CRM, right? Uh, making sure all the data points that uh, SDR fills in their CRM is flown back into HubSpot, which is where our, all of our marketing operations happens. For us to understand which campaign or which flow actually converts into a SAL, which doesn't, right? So investment into that aspect, uh, I think it improved the, the overall, uh, what do you call it, efficiency, right? So uh, much credit goes to the, the kind of investment that went in making sure uh, the cadence between marketing and SDR is intact and it's not like a, a two two different aspects of the same team, but it's more of a, a singular unit. Yeah, that's awesome. It's funny because that's the thing that we hear all the time, right? It's like the marketing versus sales kind of challenges that people people face. And it's very tough in some organizations to have those teams aligned. But it's like it's so yeah. it's so important to do so. Especially now I like I feel like now over the last few months, marketers are being held even tighter to revenue generation, right? So it's like you yeah. need to yeah. clearly with those teams. Okay, so let's get into some of the some of the specifics as well. I'm really I'm I'm actually really excited to talk to you about your your kind of like paid approach as well and how that's mm-hmm. from search and retargeting and, and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, both from a perspective of people listening to this will find that very interesting, but I'm also keen to hear what you guys are doing because we're we're like going through similar processes with some of our some of our clients where and we're mm-hmm. trying to help them helping them tie together those points a lot more clearly. And obviously some of the clients are working with HubSpot and probably have very similar flows to you guys. So I'm interested to see yeah. how you have things pieced together. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, I know people listening will be interested in that too. So let's talk about that first. Like you mentioned before yeah. we started this interview that there's been some changes to your kind of approach to paid search and everything else. Do you want to run yeah. into like a couple of those and how, how you're doing that at the moment? Sure. 
Yeah, so uh, so in terms of uh, the the marketing mix, I would say paid search uh, is is one of the key components. In fact, like we we rely on paid search for about forty percent of our SQLs or uh, MQLs. So whatever metric that is, it it has a significant weightage, right? And uh, in terms of how that maturity happened, uh, like I mentioned earlier, it was it was all about scale. Uh, let's say one one and a half years ago, uh, it's about how many uh, how do you how do you maximize the total uh, MQL generation from paid search. But then over, over time, once we understood like the ones that clearly work right so we wanted to focus on uh, the campaigns and keywords and ad groups that that actually gives us the uh, the sqls or sals right so there was, there was a lot of uh, optimization uh, that that went into uh, like transforming our account from then to now right so so we have this we have this framework what we what we like we have this uh, two by two matrix right what we call as the, the leaders bleeders and truffles and suckers right so we we what we do is we have this two by two matrix where we pick every campaign across these two metrics, which is uh, the number of SALs uh, from this campaign and the cost per SAL, right? So and this this is this is the, the, these two metrics we pick every single campaign along this. Let's say for a particular campaign we have uh, uh, ten SALs and uh, the cost per metric uh, cost per SAL is let's say thousand dollars per SAL, right? This is picked against the the overall account average, right? And the ones that that is that is about the the median mark about about the the average. For example, leaders are the ones that has that brings in maximum number of SIS at minimum cost, which means they are they are the they are the promised land for all the campaigns. We want all of them to come under this benchmark, right? Those those campaigns are our best performers, and we don't want to change a lot of things. Maybe just to maintain the bids and budgets accordingly. And then there are uh, uh, your uh, truffles, which are your high performing campaigns in terms of uh, number of SIS, but they come at a a fairly high cost, which means uh, there the focus is about cost cutting and ensuring we are not uh, bidding on keywords that don't convert and making sure all the budget that is allocated is for only the converting ones, right? And then there are bleeders, which are which are the worst worst of all. Like they give us least number of SQLs, but at a fairly high cost, which means there you need to just focus on uh, ensuring the keywords that you are going after is is worth the money or not. And then there are suckers, which are mostly dormant campaigns where there are no activity in terms of SALs, nor uh, there is enough spend, which means those are necessarily your uh, low search volume keywords, which bring in those SALs one like very rarely, right? So this framework, uh, this this is what we do at starting of every month. We pick all our campaigns and all our ad groups across these quadrants, right? And we have an optimization cadence for each of these quadrants. Like if they are in a leader, these are the things that we need to do. If they are in truffles, these are the things we need to do. So that sort of uh, that framework sort of helped us in terms of fine tuning our uh, overall. In, 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 instead of just going after campaign by campaign, we know that if if they fit into this quadrant and this is the focus area for this week, that helps us think about how to optimize for this. And over time, that now now uh, in terms of our monthly operations, the number of things we need to do is very less because over time that has been fine tuned and. Now most of our campaigns are moving towards either a leader or a truffle, right? Which means it's just about optimizing the the budgets and making sure they are well aligned with the overall performance metric. So that's one part uh, as a framework that worked really well, right? And uh, the second part I would say is our investment into uh, data, right? Uh, ensuring uh, all the all the all the spend that's happening is for the right kind of keywords, right? But then like like any other uh, funnel, there is there's going to be some amount of latency. Uh, that is uh, today uh, a click is not going to convert into SEL immediately. There's going to be a seven day or a 14 day or in, in some cases a 30 day delay, right? So then how do you understand the performance, right? If, if the budget that deployed is the right one or not, right? So that's where the stack comes into the picture where uh, we use Clearbit, 
we use clearbit reveal which helps us understand the demographics are of our audience uh, which is again tied with google analytics right so this helped us understand of of the, of the let's say for a particular campaign uh, on on a given day there are 100 uh, visits from this campaign how much of this uh, how much of this 100 visits belong to our icp right for us icp is anyone being a saas company and doing a million dollar or more in terms of arr right so the the data with clearbit tells us which how much percentage of this belongs to our icp or not right that way we are able to optimize our campaigns more immediately instead of waiting for a, a, a downstream metric with an sal which also has other uh, impact like how how the acr follow up is done and what's the there are there are a, a few other things that can change downstream metrics but we want a more leading and immediate indicator right so that way we are able to optimize campaigns and we we set a benchmark saying uh, for a particular campaign the percentage of identified icp traffic should be so much and if it is anything less than that then that campaign or that ad group uh, seemed unfit for quality right that way we are able to increase our quality to just bring in our icp traffic right so that's one part i think uh, as a as a what do you call first principle approach uh, it changed how we look at our paid search operations as, uh, as a whole and that keeps giving like it's, it's a one time fix and and the dividends are something that you uh, you enjoy throughout throughout the the course of the Yeah. yeah. Can I ask a quick question off the back of that? I'm I'm interested. Yeah. So I just want to clarify too. For you, an an SAL is that when like a SDR has had a an initial discovery call and then they've said, "Yep, yeah, this is something that we're going to pass off to the AE or something like that." We're going to set up a further. Action. Yeah, yeah. Right. It's uh, yeah. It's, it's it's even slightly uh, down the down the funnel. Even after the discovery call with an AE happened, and when an AE accepts that, okay, this is a. There's, there's all all the quality uh, or the qualification criteria is met, and now I can put a dollar value against the deal. That's what we consider as a SAS. Okay. In other terms, it's an opportunity, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So from a from like a Google Ads technical perspective, I, I'm interested in this. Some people listening might not know anything that we're about to talk about right now, but I'm thinking about the from the like conversion optimization perspective within the Google Ads. Mm-hmm. You mentioned using the Clearbit data to see like percentages of ICPs, like ICP qualified. Mm-hmm. Are you optimizing within your Google Ads accounts for people like scheduling that initial demo call, or like what what are you optimizing? Because obviously the distance between someone visiting from a campaign, scheduling a call, having the call, um, being qualified, everything like that is is can be a significant period of time. And I was just wondering yeah. how you're optimizing within your Google Ads accounts when sometimes it's like yeah. hard to get that feedback back into the ads account at high enough yeah. volume to be optimizing efficiently. So how are you doing yeah. that? So okay, so there are two parts to it. Some 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 part of it is manual, uh, right? We have we have a four member team that's working on uh, paid search, which gives us a little bit of bandwidth to do uh, a more slightly manual but but useful sort of operations, right? So we have a weekly cadence to understand what what, what are the uh, what, what what kind of campaigns are actually giving those sales, and uh, so the, all that data is within HubSpot. So for a particular lead, you will know which campaign they came from and also their their downstream journey. So. It, it's a bit of manual work to export this into an excel to understand uh, the quadrant that i men- mentioned and based on that we do that and then there is uh, some part of automation that's coming into the picture using offline conversion tracking which is which is more of a hack that you do with hubspot zapier and google adwords right so what we do is uh, whenever some uh, a lead becomes an sal it you, you create you add them to a particular list in hubspot and using the offline conversion tracking mechanism basically what that means is uh, Uh, Google asks the GCL ID for every ad, right? So that GCL ID is passed against every every lead that we have, and whenever that becomes becomes an SQL or an SAL, 
that particular gcl id is sent back to google adwords saying hey this gcl id that came in for this ad is now an sal right so that that data is now uh, passed back into adwords and then then while we uh, optimize for conversions you have this particular data passed into adwords and you know that okay whenever these kind of keywords uh, appear again bit higher right that's when you, when you when you do a what do you call a target cpa uh, this this automatically gets adjusted because you're not just optimizing for conversions based on landing page visits or thank you page visits was actually for uh, the crm identified conversions right and that's working uh, really well it's been like 6 months since we started the approach uh, it, it's going to take some time for us to scale it up across the account but uh, for the ones that uh, we have sort of uh, uh, did a pilot with a few campaigns that's been working really well there is some latency there but very when you look at a monthly metric that sort of events out but that's a, that's a very useful hack uh, for for any team that's that's having a, a sort of a, a hubspot uh, adwords setup it it works out really well Awesome. Yeah, that's a really good tip. Okay. I'm going to I've I've noted that down in my notes too because we have we have one well we have a couple of clients that are using HubSpot but only only one where it's really important that we're focusing on those metrics because a lot of the SaaS companies we work with are so simply like simple self-service and not saying this doesn't matter as much to them but the ones where it's like higher deal values this kind of information is more important because the sales cycles are longer so it's harder yep. to optimize sometimes so yeah um, yep. i've noted that down because i we we haven't yep. we haven't been experimenting with that just yet so uh, yeah yeah try that out right um, i want to know also about the so you've talked about the involvement of Clearbit so far with regards to like identifying percentage of traffic that matches icp yeah yep. Are you guys using Clearbit for anything else? Like I'd imagine, I'd imagine that's involved in like follow-up flows and nurturing flows and stuff too, right? Yeah. That's right. That's right. So particularly just continuing on paid alone, right? Uh, paid, not just paid search, but display and Facebook, right? So with, with the same data, what what we can do is uh, you can create segments within Clearbit saying, hey, I want to just go after North American SaaS audiences or uh, European e-learning companies or whatever that segment is, right? You you create that segment. and you could create a custom audience directly from clearbit onto facebook and to google right that way when we are retargeting we are not retargeting the entire mass that came onto our website because some some might not have the intent to become anything useful right they they could be just be uh, window shopping cash free shopping us right so but how do we go after the ones that has shown intent which is more of a behavioral understanding uh, based on what pages that they saw how many times they came in on top of that there is a layer of homographics right uh, are they belonging to our icp or not And if, if if we know for certain that they belong to our ICP, it it makes sense to put money on them. So in terms of retargeting, also we use Clearbit data to to maximize our reach to uh, the Clearbit identified audiences. And particularly for Facebook, that's working out even more, where we have a lot more control with respect to how quickly we can experiment and what sort of uh, uh, creatives that we can play around with. Right? Uh, it's not going to be just generic. Uh, hey, here is the capability. Here is what. So based on where they are in the funnel, we we show different types of ads. Like for someone who just engages their blog, we show uh, ebook or some of the top level content. But then someone who is actively coming onto us, looking at our pricing page or uh, some of uh, the more bottom of the funnel kind of pages, we we actively engage them with the customer case studies and in in some cases uh, trying to uh, urge them towards scheduling a demo. Right. So Facebook, I think uh, the data that we can take out from Clearbit and put it on top of Facebook, that's working really well. and one of the part with respect to remarketing uh, i think this is uh, i think this this has uh, had a massive impact for us which is the uh, rlsa campaigns within within search the remarketing search campaigns right here again so that's that's actually a pretty useful part of google ads i think most of companies don't necessarily double down on that but i think that's super important right because these are searches of people who came on to your website 
right? And here again, what we do is uh, with, with the Clearbit data, and if our ICP is searching for us, uh, for us or anything related to Charge B, right? It could be our competitors, it could be something to do with the space, right? If, if and uh, with, with RLSA, I think there is more flexibility with respect to the ad copies, given that you know what they already saw, and, and given that they, you know that they already know your brand or what you do, the level of details that you can go with uh, the ad copies is a lot more higher. Now you can say, hey, uh, welcome back, or something that's more personal, right? I think RLSA uh, is, is more of a, 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 an account within an account, right? So that way you can just focus on the four keywords that you want to go for. And given that these are people who are repeatedly searching for, that is definitely high intent. So it makes sense to put more money on those campaigns. So this is how uh, the, the data also plays a role in terms of remarketing, which is one one part of this display and Facebook, another actually specifically from the remarketing search ads. Awesome. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I, I like that. This is the kind of stuff that I personally love talking about because it's what we're like experimenting with every day in a mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's cool because with, with RLSA campaigns that like we've only started experimenting with them again very recently because in the past it's like they're awesome. Let's say you're an e-commerce store with hundreds or thousands of different products used, right? Then they become super, yeah. but with the typical SaaS business, if there's just like one product area and it's like yeah. a very simple sales process, sometimes I've found it challenging to see mm -hmm. how we would get the kind of best results from them. But we, we, yeah. Yeah, it's cool that you say that because we've just started, we're just about to start a test with one of our clients with some more mm. RLAs uh, at the moment. And yeah, it's good to hear that you're seeing success from those. Yeah. Okay, you've shared a ton of like really insightful and interesting stuff so far. So I, I really appreciate you for, for doing that. We have a couple of minutes left to go. So I'm going to mm -hmm. ask, I always wrap up with like two core questions. But before we do that, is there, is there anything else like that you really, really wanted to talk about that you haven't done so, so far? Let me know. Yeah, I think I think specifically if you're if you're talking about B2B SaaS, right? I think like even even yesterday, I I, I saw uh, I saw uh, uh, an email coming from Demand Base, if I'm right. So there was this uh, pretty cool title that said uh, Intent is the new lead for B2B SaaS, right? Which is uh, I think I think I would agree, right? Where uh, there's a ton of data that's available to understand who's shopping for us, and uh, if you know your uh, ICP, right? If you know what your audience wants and based on uh, the persona and whatnot. I think there's there's a lot more uh, specific campaigns that we can drive instead of just a spray and pray approach, uh, which is which which works for volume, but then for a B2B SaaS game, it's it's more of uh, quality and hyper focusing on that. I think uh, focusing on intent data and investing that uh, investing in that, that sort of tooling uh, that's required to understand this, I think that 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 uh, will have a long term effect instead of uh, because at some point your mainstream channels are going to give you diminishing returns, right? Uh, paid search you can only uh, extract to some extent because Beyond a point, there are no keywords that you can uh, extrapolate, which means you'll have to invest in other channels. I think uh, investing in intent data and uh, the, the tooling part of it will give any B2B SaaS the edge over other competitors who are not primarily looking at it, right? So I think that would be a, a good point for any B2B SaaS marketer to consider. Okay. And aside from Clearbit, are you using any other tools for intent data? Are you using like G2's intent data to feed into your ads or like any other yeah. tools that you're using? Yeah, so we, we do use G2's intent data, which is, I think that's, that's a goldmine of information, right? Uh, we use Clearbit to understand the website intent who's coming on the website, but particularly if they're on G2 and if there is a combination of people looking at us on the website and competition on G2, that's like, you definitely need to go after them, right? So uh, we use a combination of that and uh, we, we work in, in, in tandem with the sales team, the outbound sales team to, to pass this real-time notification to them saying, hey, 
this target account is on the website, is on uh, G2 Shopping for us, you might have to reach them right now. So that's that's where it works. And uh, besides this, uh, for acquisition of net new ICPs or net new uh, mid-market enterprise customers, we use Rollworks, which is our ABM product for us to specifically focus on uh, a target account list, right? Where we, uh, at the starting of quarter, we decide these 500 other accounts that we want to go after. And we segment them, like we segment campaigns based on different persona. For us, uh, on an average, we have four to five stakeholder involvement in a particular account. So we have campaigns for each persona and then create an account-wide sort of uh, reach and like make them familiarize about the problem and also the product. That way, even if one person comes onto the account uh, in terms of when they have to go back and uh, uh, explain to the stakeholder saying, hey, I have phone charge, they do this, I think this would be helpful. It won't be a surprise for rest of them because they have already been warmed up uh, to, to our content or the problems that we solve for. And that in conjunction with Clearbit and uh, the rest of the stack that we have, it, it, it works really well, right? And in combination of Drift, Drift and Clearbit have a direct integration. So you can have a, a specific bots for your ICP, specific bots for your target accounts. I think all of those are like uh, uh, like fairly, uh, what do you call, easily uh, playbook, playbookized for, for lack of better words. I think Drift and Clearbit is a, is a, is a good uh, combination to have in, in case, yeah. I think there are also other alternatives, uh, cheaper ones and uh, better ones. Uh, but for us, Clearbit, I think this is part of uh, the backbone of our entire data stack. And that's, that's working out throughout the funnel. Awesome. Yeah, that's cool. Thank you so much for sharing. This has been so practical, which I really, really love. These are my favorite episodes to do. So like, I really appreciate you for sharing everything that you guys are doing and being an open book. It's, it's really great. Two questions just to wrap up. So the first one, I think probably the answer to this might be related to basically everything that we've just talked about. But I was going to say, what's one thing that you're really proud of that you or your team are working on at the moment or have just done recently? So we are also investing a good amount of uh, efforts into personalization, right? So, and particularly with B2B, I think uh, personalization is also becoming a mainstay in how we do things. So a lot of efforts is going underway in terms of making sure uh, the landing page and the website is personalized for that user particularly. So a couple of experiments that are successful in the recent times is, let's say someone has signed up for the product and is now coming back to the website and uh, understanding more. We're not showing the same, same homepage because they've already seen it and that's why they have signed up. So now we have a differentiated messaging saying, hey, now we have signed up, maybe you need some help in terms of implementing the product, why don't we get on a call, right? So that sort of uh, personalized user journeys, I think uh, it, it's really interesting for us. And we have seen some success, but I think that's, I think that's, uh, I, I wouldn't say even if the quantitative uh, impact is less, but as a marketer, when you when you create this sort of warm experiences on your website, that's, that's, that's nothing like it for a marketer, right? So yeah. that's something I'm, yeah, I could state. That's awesome. What are you using to, to power that? Are you using something like proof or like, because I, I know there's a few different personalization softwares that have yeah. been all the rage recently. I'm interested. What, what do you guys use to power? power yeah. That? Yeah. So we, 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 we are, we are in uh, touch with proof. So it, it's still uh, a pilot, uh, but they are a pretty, pretty awesome tool. And again, they, in, they, in, they integrate with all the things that we have with respect to HubSpot and Clearbit. So the entire stacks work uh, really well. So proof and there's also, another product called Custom Fit, uh, which is again doing the same thing. So both of them uh, are really changing the game with respect to the personalization and A-B texting. Yeah, that's cool. Maybe we should do like another episode at, like in six months time and see how that's worked out for you. Cause like I, I'm yeah, seeing so many yeah. people talking about personalization right now and it's very interesting to me. But I do also see some areas where I think people overstep the mark with personalization and try too much yeah. it like it doesn't become creepy or anything but it just becomes really yeah. like weird and so yeah. i'm on the clear bit website on my other screen right now 
And the way that they've personalized it for me is really great because it shows my like company, it shows Hey Digital, it shows that we're within B2B and SaaS and it shows our tech stack and it just shows it on a little screen and I like that, but I don't like it when I go to a website and it's like, it, it says like, hello, Hey Digital and then it pops, like that's okay, but then when it pops yeah. up a drift bot directly to me or to someone else on my team, even if it's me, like sometimes it's, it, it depends on the, on the intent. If it's the first time I've been on a website and they do that, I don't really like it. If I'm returning or I'm currently a user, then obviously it's a little bit different, but yeah. it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. We're like, okay, right, right. you personalize, you know? Yeah. I would say, I would say uh, like at least in my mind, I think personalization is just about uh, adding the right value, right? It's, it's just not about calling, hey, hey, Dylan or hey, uh, Mr. Ed, right? So that's, that's not what personalization is. It's just about telling the right value for the right kind of audience and the approach that we take is uh, what is meaningful for this cohort, right? This cohort or uh, there has to be a baseline of something that binds this uh, traffic together. Either, uh, either they're returning leads or returning visitors or they belong to a particular segment or industry or a persona, right? It's not about calling. It's not like, like, like I mentioned, I've seen a lot of websites where uh, just the first message says, hey, you will come to the site and no. everything, uh, rest, rest of it is just normal and it doesn't make sense. So yeah, personally, it's just about uh, finding what value can be uh, delivered to the right segment, right? I think if you think along those lines, we can track it uh, quite, quite well. This has been great. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing this. I think this has been an awesome episode. So let's, uh, let's wrap this one up now. But Sri, thank you. I really yeah. appreciate it. Yeah. And yeah, speak to you again soon, hopefully. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me.